Hello. So today we are going to be uh, doing Hebrews 3, um, reading, I guess, yeah. And so we'll go through all of Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. <laughs> now every, <laughs> just as the builder is, has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works. For 40 years, therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said they have always gone astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with all those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's all Hebrew says. <laughs> Great job, ladies. Uh, if you didn't know or pay attention or understand, um, they weren't reading that. Most of what they had in their hand were fill in the blanks. They have been memorizing the book of Hebrews. Uh, they're part of our Bible Bowl team or a Bible Bowl team, and uh, uh, more students in our ministry and other churches around this area participate in Bible Bowl. And so uh, those girls have been memorizing that passage of Scripture and competing in tournaments and uh, doing a great job. And so we're really, uh, really proud of you girls and just want to tell you you did a great job. Can you guys give them a hand? Awesome. Um, and while you're doing that, if you're in our children's ministry, you're dismissed to go to G2 now. We're grateful that you guys were able to be here to celebrate with us this morning and worship together with us. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 3, which is what we've just been looking at and uh, what these girls have been, uh, been speaking. And so we're going to just talk through Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. Uh, and so I want us just to dive in because Hebrews 3 starts off and says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Uh, and so all of us have a worldview that determines how we view and process things. And no matter what you're coming from or where you're coming from, if you are a believer in Christ, as believers in Jesus, we are first and foremost 
called to look at everything in life through the lens of the person of Jesus and through the revelation of God by His Word and by the, the truth of Scripture. Uh, and so as we look at Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us some important things about ourselves, about our position in God, about who we are, about what we're supposed to be doing. And so when we start this out, it helps us to more fully understand the importance, really, of this Christmas season. And as we jump into Christmas and as we draw closer in these next few weeks to celebrating Christmas, when we see Hebrews and the things that are being taught here, it helps us to understand who we are, who God is, who Jesus is, and how we live in relationship to Him. And so the first things that we see here in, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So because of Jesus' sacrifice on the, on the cross to pay for our sins, He calls us holy brothers and sisters. And so He tells us about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, our worldview doesn't come from the outside world. It comes from Scripture. It comes from Jesus and His statements about us. And so the author of Hebrews here says that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are called holy people. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are holy not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And so He's made you to be a holy brother, a holy sister in his family. And so when we talk about that, that word holy, uh, it just means to be set apart or to be called out. And so what he's telling us here at the very beginning of this chapter is that because you're holy, you've been set apart for God and his purposes. You've been set apart from our culture, from this world, distinguished by the person of Jesus and as he's changing our lives to be who we're supposed to be. So first of all, we are holy people. We are called out, set apart for God's purposes. Then second, he says, we share in the heavenly calling. That we're part of a heavenly calling, something higher that God has for us, that we're set apart for. And the heavenly calling is basically just an understanding. It refers to our position in salvation here on this earth. That's our sanctification. That while we're on this earth, as believers in Jesus, that God is sanctifying us. That part of our heavenly calling is that we're being changed every single day as we follow after Christ to be more like Jesus. But the second element of that is that we're also being glorified. And that's a future glorification that will happen. There's a, a part of our glorification that happens here on this earth through the process of sanctification. But ultimately, we're going to be glorified in Christ eternally when we share in His glory when He comes back. And so at the second advent, the return of Jesus, that we're anticipating, that we're waiting for, that Christmas is part of a celebration. It's a looking back at the first coming of Christ, and it's a looking ahead for the return of Jesus. And we know that when Jesus comes, that the, the Bible tells us that we're going to be with Him forever, and that we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, that we're going to inherit an eternal body, and that it's going to be perfect in every way. And so our ultimate glorification is coming. So all of these things accent the fact that God has acted to rescue us from sin. And as His people, we've been rescued from the destruction of death and sin. And so now as we live in that reality, we understand that it's not about anything that we do. It's not about anything that we've made for ourselves, anything we've won for ourselves, championed for ourselves. It's all about the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that He has won our salvation and so when we think about this, in this idea of being holy people, here's what we need to understand. That there are no holy, unsaved people. That if you're outside of a relationship with Christ, God doesn't say that about you. 
That he doesn't say you've been changed and you've been set apart and you've been uh, called out from among this world. That's a distinguishment for believers in Christ. But it should be a challenge if you're not a believer in Christ to hear that and say, I, I want to know what it looks like to be in a relationship with God, to be changed by God, so that the handprint of Jesus, the fingerprints of Jesus are on my life as well. So when we think about that, that no one is being sanctified and glorified without Jesus at the center of their life. That's a designation that can only take place when Jesus is at the middle of everything. And when He's at the center, He changes us. Yet we are holy and share in the heavenly calling because of our relationship with Jesus. So because of that, Hebrews 3.1 tells us what to do next. He says, when we think about this, being holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Maybe some of your translations say consider Jesus. That's a great way to look at it. That we're supposed to, to consider Him, to set our, our thoughts on Him, our sights on Him. It really means to meditate on Jesus as the heart of Christianity. That when we come into this season, and every time of the year, it's not just something that we do at Christmas, but at all times of the year, that we should be setting our eyes, our gaze on Jesus, that we should be considering Him, that we should meditate on who He is. That we have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And that's the area that so many people, I think, struggle with in their faith. That when we come into this place, there are people who struggle in this because we talk about our worldview. And so many of us have a worldview, even in our Christianity, our worldview has determined how we think about being a follower of Christ. And a lot of people would say, man, my Christianity really is about me just uh, having an add-on to my already full and busy life. That Jesus is just another part of an already good and full and busy life. And so when we think about that, there are so many people, I believe, in this world that call themselves Christians, and yet their thought process is, Christianity is, it's, it's an escape plan for me. This is something that I've, I've put some hope in so that I won't go to hell when I die. And I want to have a relationship with Jesus, and Christianity for me is just, it's, a, it's an addition to an already full life that I have. Well, there's only one real problem with that. And that's that Scripture never talks about Christianity and faith in those terms. When Jesus was on the earth, he always said things like, anyone who wants to come and follow me has to give up his life to do so. If you want to, to live a full life, you've got to die to your life. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to find true life, you have to die to yourself in order to follow me. And so Jesus always talks about saving faith as a death to ourselves. It's not an addition. It's not a tack-on. It's not something extra just so we don't go to hell when we die. It is an all-in, I'm buying into this Jesus movement. I am following Him. I'm going to put everything in Him. He's going to be the center of my life, and I'm going to focus every single day on Him. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. He's the one that I'm pursuing. He's the one that I'm chasing after. And so many of us have this worldview that Christianity is just a bonus element of our already full lives, but that's not how the author of Hebrews paints things. The author of Hebrews is admonishing us in light of our great salvation to keep our gaze locked on Jesus, to consider Him to be the only thing of real worth in life and to meditate on His glory and on His goodness. I mean, if you think about it, that's exactly what Mary did on the very first Christmas. 
Do you remember this story? You've probably read it several times this year already. I know that this part of my Christmas celebration is I read the Christmas story over and over, and every day it's a journey through the Christmas story. And so uh, if that's not a practice of yours, that may be a good thing to, to consider is just read through the Christmas story every day. Read Luke 2. Read Matthew, the first few chapters of Matthew and just watch the story unfold. But in, in the story of Jesus' birth, this is what Mary did. She, she considered Jesus. She meditated on Jesus. Um, and we see that play out in Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. Uh, on the night that the angels came to the shepherds and they proclaimed that the, the Messiah had been born and the shepherds ran into Bethlehem to try to find the Christ child. And when they found him and they had seen him and they worshipped him, the next thing that we see in Luke 2 is that they hurry off. Look at verse 16. Luke chapter 2, verse 16. So they, the shepherds, hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. See, so much of our life in Christ, I think a lot of our focus and attention gets placed on our orthopraxy. And that's just a fancy word that means our practice of the Christian faith. The things that we do. And so much of Christianity becomes about what do you do? How do you serve? Where do you go? What's your next mission trip? And who's, who's the next people you're interacting with? And how are you doing things for the kingdom of God? And we get so consumed with our orthopraxy, our practice of the Christian faith, that sometimes we forget to stop and consider the orthodoxy of our Christian faith. That we need to stop and consider the doctrine of the faith that we believe. That we need to have moments where what drives our practice of Christianity is how much time we've spent meditating on and considering the doctrines of our faith. And if we will stop and meditate on Jesus and think deeply on Jesus, that's what Mary said when, when it says in verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. It just means that Mary thought deeply on what was happening. And she's holding the Messiah of the world in her hands. And shepherds show up unexpectedly and they tell her that angels appeared to them in a field and told them to come and find the Christ child. Can you imagine what it would be like? Number one is a new mom holding a baby that you know is sent from God. And then number two, having strangers show up when you've just given birth. That you know may or may not be an awkward, weird thing for some people. And all of a sudden you've got these guys who just come bursting in and they're all excited. Because they've had shepherds, they've had angels that have said, you've got to go and find this baby. It is the Messiah of the world. And they come in and they're telling all this story. Can you imagine what that sounded like? I mean, when I get excited, I talk fast. I talk fast anyway. But when I get really excited, I talk really fast. Can you imagine the shepherds just bursting in to this manger scene area where Jesus is and Mary's holding him? Can you imagine the conversation that was going on and how fast those guys were probably talking and trying to explain what they were doing there? that angels had shown up and sang to them glory in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And that they're telling Mary all this, these stories, and Mary, Mary, when they leave, it just says that she pondered all of these things. She thought deeply on this. What's God doing in the world? What's he about? What's going on? And she thought on these doctrinal truths of God. We see Mary's deep understanding of the doctrine of God and the, the truth of God when you read her story when she went to see Elizabeth after the announcement of her pregnancy. And we talked about this last year. If, we were, if you were here last year for our Christmas series, we talked about Mary's song and how 
full of Scripture it was. Mary's doctrine, her understanding of the Word of God helped her know how to live out her life. And so we see all of that. And the shepherds are another great example of that. That as they've been in the presence of the Christ, they immediately run out telling everyone they can. I mean, I just wonder what it would take for us to become evangelists like the shepherds. And really, here's what I think the truth is. I think that you turn someone into an evangelist with the more time they spent with Jesus. I mean, I wonder if there's a proximity or if there's a way to evaluate your nearness to Jesus on a daily basis with how often you speak His name publicly. That if there are things that you think about and consider and say, the reason I'm bold enough to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus with people in my workplace, in my family, in my community, is because I dwell and think on and ponder and meditate and consider and fix my eyes on Jesus every day. Because closeness to Jesus will result in telling the message about Jesus. And so we always need to be drawing near to Him. So when we gather for worship in a place like this, it's to consider Jesus. When you go to your life group, it's to consider Jesus. When you serve in the community, it's to consider Jesus. As you have your own personal worship time during the week, the goal is to consider Jesus in light of who Scripture says He is. See, we have to be careful sometimes, too, I think, about saying that we want to, uh, to do this in a way that helps us understand what we believe. What we need to really do is place ourselves under the authority of Scripture and say, what does Scripture teach? What does it say? Not just what do I think, but what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say about who Jesus is? Let our doctrine come straight from Scripture. And so as we do that, I think that we'll have considered Jesus to the point that we're going to want to proactively ask other people to consider Him as well. That that should become part of our life. That as followers of Christ, if you're going to meditate on Jesus, if you're going to consider Him in light of who He is and Scripture teaches He is, that you're going to want others to consider Him as well. And to just say, would you think about who this Jesus is? That's why I love what we're doing with our devotional guides that you're going to be given today at the end of the service. That we want you to give one of those to someone that you're close to, a relative, a neighbor, a co-worker, that maybe does not know Jesus as their Savior. Those books are full of stories like Kristen's from last week and Patty's today, and you're going to hear from some other guys in the next couple of weeks. And just, it's their testimonies. It's people's testimonies about saying, this is how Jesus is greater than anything else in my life. And so we want to use those as a tool to hand out to people and say, we want you to hear the gospel over and over and over through the month of December. And as you do, would you just consider what it means to follow Jesus? Would you fix your eyes on Him Let everything else go away. I love what Patty said, that so much of our focus and attention gets wrapped up and caught up in in the holiday Christmas season of buying gifts and all these things that we forget to fix our attention and our gaze, our focus on Jesus. And so this year, would you just focus on Jesus? And when we think about that, there's three things that we're told to consider or focus on and meditate on about Jesus in this section of the book of Hebrews. And so, number one, he says that he's our apostle. Fix your eyes on Jesus, uh, who we know and have acknowledged as our apostle, and our high priest. And then number three, that he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So these three things that we look at in this Christmas season that we need to think on deeply and meditate on is that Jesus is our apostle. He's our high priest, and he's faithful to God. So that word apostle, we don't often think about Jesus as an apostle. We think about the disciples as apostle, right? The followers of Jesus were his apostles. That's what we, we call these guys. But yet, so the author of Hebrews says, though, that Jesus was our Apostle. So what does that mean? It simply means one who is sent out. 
An apostle is a sent one. And so, in the context of Jesus being our apostle, he was sent by God to come into this world to rescue us, to save us from our sins. That he is the first messenger, the glory of God. That he's the greatest messenger, I should say, of the glory of God. That he has come to reveal who God is. So he is a sent out one. Uh, And so we see that he has come to save us. Then we'll talk in the next couple of weeks about what it means for Jesus to be a high priest. So I don't want to go into that very deeply today. But today I really want to focus on this idea of Jesus being sent by God as a faithful servant. That he's come as a faithful servant. And in doing so, the author of Hebrews is going to compare Jesus to Moses. Now, last week we looked at the comparison between Jesus and angels. And we said we've got to consider the first century context of who the author is writing to, the audience that he's originally writing to. We always want to look back in Scripture and say, what did the first people who read this need to know? What was was the purpose of this writing? And so the purpose last week, we said, was that there were people who considered angels uh, to be incredibly high on their list of importance because they had helped deliver the, the law to Moses. And because they had delivered the law, was Jesus, when he came as the fulfillment of the law, was he another angel exalted a little bit higher, but he was still an angelic being, or is Jesus really something different? And so we said Jesus is not an angel with an exalted status. Jesus is the Son of God. So Hebrews 1 and 2 bear that out, along with other scripture. So tonight, or this morning, we look and see that that we also need to compare Moses with Jesus, and we're going to shift our focus there. But here's what I want you to get right off the bat. When we do these kind of comparisons and go, Jesus is greater than the angels, Jesus is greater than Moses, especially in light of Moses this morning, it's not disparaging toward Moses to say that Jesus is greater than him. Like, we're not trying to look at this and go, oh yeah, Moses, I mean, he was okay for a time, but we don't really need to pay attention to him anymore. Moses is still a highly esteemed person that we need to consider in our faith. In the Jewish world, he's highly considered. And so when we think about this, you see, number one, what he says, we're not disparaging Moses. Look at verse 2. He, Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, God, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So the author of Hebrews is telling us Moses was faithful to God. He's deserving of, of recognition and of honor as a faithful servant in God's house. This is who Moses is. In the Old Testament, the only person revered more than Moses maybe was King David. He's the, King David is the only person whose name appears more times in the Old Testament than Moses. In the New Testament, Moses' name appears more than anyone else from the Old Testament. By like 23 times more than David in the New Testament. So Moses is highly regarded, highly esteemed to be honored. But he's talking about here this idea that Jesus is still more faithful than Moses. In verse 2, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And so Steve Gurr writes in his commentary on Hebrews, in the world of first century Judaism and throughout ensuing Jewish history, Moses was held in quasi-supernatural esteem. The Talmud, the Jewish oral law, contains the Jewish belief expressed by various rabbinic sages that there was a cosmic relationship or rather an equivalency between Moses and the Messiah. And so in this first century context and culture, the the people who are receiving this book of Hebrews, we have to understand how high in regard they held Moses. And so as the author of Hebrews is writing, he's making this distinguishment, this comparison, to say Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, but you need to consider Jesus, who also was faithful as a servant over God's house. We're going to talk about that in just a second. So he puts these two side by side, Jesus and Moses, And it makes sense to do that because Moses is a type of Messiah. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, you can see 
how Moses is like a Messiah. He is a redeemer. He's a rescuer. And so we see these messianic type of things in Moses' life. Look at some comparisons. I'm just going to read some of these through to you, some comparisons from the life of Jesus and the life of Moses, just so you can see side by side how similar they are in the roles that they fulfilled. Think about this. Jesus was born under Roman occupation and placed in a manger. Moses was born into slavery in Egypt and placed in a basket. Jesus was miraculously saved as an infant when angels instructed Joseph to flee to Egypt and escape death from Herod while he was uh, having Hebrew males to and under killed. Moses was miraculously saved as an infant when his basket floated up to Pharaoh's daughter while Pharaoh was having male newborns killed. The Hebrew male newborns. Do you remember the stories? you see the parallels that are happening here? Jesus is the shepherd of his people. Moses was literally a shepherd in the wilderness. Jesus performed miracles by healing people, casting out demons and raising the dead. Moses performed miracles by calling plagues down on Egypt and providing food and water in the desert through God's power. Jesus came to deliver His people from the curse of sin and death. Moses was sent to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. Jesus serves as the righteous judge of all mankind. Moses served as the judge over the nation of Israel. Jesus revealed the glory of God to His disciples when He was transfigured on a mountaintop prior to His death. When Jesus went up on a mountaintop with some of His disciples, you remember the story that they had been sleeping and then when they awoke, Jesus was shining in the radiance of His God-like glory. And there were also Moses and Elijah were there with Him. They appeared there with Him. But in the Old Testament, Moses also reflected the glory of God when he met with God on a mountaintop as he was given the Ten Commandments. If you remember that story, when Moses came down from the mountain after being in the presence of God, the Bible says that his face shone like the sun. But it wasn't Moses' own glory. It was a reflection of the glory of God on him to the point that the people made him put a bag over his head so that he could walk around the camp and not scare everybody to death. Can you imagine a glowing head walking around camp? That'd be weird, right? Like this is what was happening. But Jesus' glory was his own. Moses' glory was a reflection of the glory of God. And so we see all of these parallels and the similarities could go on and on, which again is why Hebrews is quick to point out why Moses is a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus is greater than Moses as a servant over God's house. There's a big distinguishment there. That Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus is a servant over God's house. He's over everything. And so look back uh, to show us kind of what this looks like and, and how we kind of prove some of these things about why Jesus is greater than Moses. Look back at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are His house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. So here's the first thing the author of Hebrews is saying. If you're taking notes this morning you want to follow along either on the YouVersion app or write some things down, it's going to be on the screen. Just write this down. Jesus is worthy of greater honor than Moses because sonship is greater than servanthood. Right? Sonship is a greater place of honor than servanthood. And so when we think about Jesus and we think about Moses, the author of Hebrews is going to point out that Moses was a faithful servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son over God's house. Which one of those two distinguishing, distinguishing characteristics is more important? It's always going to be more important to be the son than the servant. So we should honor Moses for what he did as a servant in God's house, but Jesus is worthy of greater honor. 
In the same way, he says that the builder of a house is worthy of greater honor than the house itself. So think about in our region, what's the most famous house in our area? The Biltmore Mansion, right? Did somebody say your condo? What? Um, yeah, the Biltmore Mansion is the, the most prestigious house in this area. And so when we think about that, we go, wow, the, the house, the Biltmore Mansion is incredible. But do you know who's worthy of greater honor and esteem than the house? It's the Biltmore family. It's the architect who designed the house. It's the people who orchestrated what it was going to be. Because the people who do this are more significant than the house itself. Although the house has endured, the family is the one that created this, that, that paid for it, that designed it, that did all of these things. They're worthy of great honor. And so when we see this being played out, the design of the house tells us about a lot of things about the people. It tells us about their taste. It tells us about their style, about their personality. It tells us what they liked, what they didn't like. You can go to Biltmore and you can go, the Biltmores liked books. I mean, they have a massive, massive library there. They liked indoor swimming pools and bowling alleys. They, they liked playing, right? They have these things in their house. They like roaring fires. They have massive fireplaces. You start to see the house tells us about the person. And as we see the house, we start to understand more about the builder of the house. And so this is what, what uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, is that God is the builder, the architect of the master plan to bring people into relationship with himself. And so the author of Hebrews wants us to see that Moses didn't build the house. He was simply a servant in the house. And so a lot of that kind of takes me back to an illustration from the Old Testament. You think about the story of Joseph. And if you remember Joseph's story, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And as he was sold into that position, he came into Potiphar's house, into Potiphar's home, and, and he became a servant in Potiphar's house. But he became the servant over everything. And so we see all of these things take place that Joseph was, was over everything to the point that the Bible says that Potiphar only worried himself with what he was going to eat and drink during the day. That was his only concern. But yet, at the same time, Joseph was still a servant. He wasn't in charge. He wasn't the master. Potiphar was still in charge. And so this is the conversation that we get with Moses, that he is the leader of the people of Israel in the Old Testament in that time. But he was a faithful servant in God's house. Jesus is the servant over God's house. Then here's the next distinguishing thing I want you to see. That Hebrews always talks about Moses and says he was faithful. But when he talks about Jesus, it says Christ is faithful. That Moses' life has come and gone, but Jesus endures and remains forever. That Jesus is forever the faithful servant of God over his house. That today he rules and he reigns over everything. So Jesus is the son over everything. So if that's true, what should our response to these things be? I want to take just a minute and read a, a chunk of this passage here from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, and going all the way through chapter 4, verse 7. What's our response to be? if Jesus is the greater servant over the house of God. So Hebrews 3, 7 says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened to sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Moses led out of Egypt? 
And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who believe enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare on my anger, uh, on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere, on, uh, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and those who did formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This, is, uh, this he did a long time later when he spoke through David, as the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now I want to point out something from this kind of lengthy passage. When Scripture says something once, it's always important. When it repeats it in a close proximity, you really lean in and pay close attention. But when something in Scripture says something three times, you need to remove all obstacles in front of you and go, what is he saying? I need to pay attention to that. And three times in this passage of Scripture, in Hebrews 3 and 4, in close proximity, he quotes the Old Testament from Psalm chapter 95 and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day that you can enter into the rest of God. That He has called you to stop your striving, to stop trying to earn your way to heaven, to stop trying to do enough good things to become saved. Today can be your day of salvation. If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And so here's how I want to close this morning. I want to talk to people in the room who are not followers of Jesus for just a minute. If you hear this morning the voice of God speaking to you, either as His Holy Spirit is speaking or through this text as you hear it and you see who Jesus is, whatever it may be today, if you hear God speaking to your heart and urging you to join His family, don't wait. Don't put it off. If you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. That word harden is the word petrified. It can be translated to the word petrified. Uh, when I was a kid, we got a chance to go on vacation out west and we went to a place called the Petrified Forest. And it literally is a place where trees have been blown down and covered in sand. And over the years, all the, the, uh, uh, the natural things that had happened to occur to turn wood into stone. And it's an entire forest just laying on the ground of rock-hard stone wood. And so he's saying that's what happens in our hearts. When we harden our hearts against God, we have a hardened heart, a rock-hard heart against God. But here's the beauty of the gospel that the Old Testament bears out and the New Testament shows us is that Jesus came to change our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. That Jesus has the ability to take the hardness that you have in your heart against Him and transform it into a heart of flesh that's soft toward God, that's loving towards God, that will bow to God and His purposes. So today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Accept Him as your Savior. Then here's the last thing I want to say to Christians. I want to talk to you for just a minute. In these chapters and scattered throughout Scripture is the understanding that genuine, authentic faith is an enduring faith. It's a faith that's going to last. We're meant to persevere in faith in Jesus our entire lives. And we're meant to help others in that process. 
And so here's what that looks like. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that's us, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, church, we're meant to come alongside of each other. We're meant to hold one another up. We're meant to encourage each other in our faith. We're meant to keep pushing each other to say, are you considering Jesus? Are you fixed on Jesus? Is your gaze on Jesus? Are you focused on Jesus? How are you doing following Jesus? What's your faith look like in Jesus? We're supposed to come alongside each other every day to build one another up in our faith. But this isn't a journey that you're on by yourself. That as a church, when you're in your small group, we should be asking each other, how's your faith? Are you following Jesus? Are you considering Jesus? Are you keeping Jesus front and center? Is He the most important thing to you? When you're at church, you should be asking people, what's it look like in your life with Jesus? Don't ask people how their day was. How's your day? How's your week? Ask people, how's it going following Jesus? Are you keeping Jesus right in front of you in everything? That's what we're meant to do. Because this life of faith is meant to be an enduring life of faith. It's a persevering faith. It's an eternal faith. But all of us have a part to play in encouraging one another to find that faith in Christ and to stay in it and to walk with Him. So this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus but you want to know what it looks like to be in a relationship with Him, I'd love for you to come and find me after the service or someone you've seen on stage here this morning. And just, just be around us. Ask us questions about faith. Ask us what it looks like to follow Jesus. Whatever it means that you need, to, whatever questions you have that need to be answered. If you're not comfortable doing that, on the bulletin you were given, there's a connection card on the bottom. It just says, there's a place to check a box that says, I want to know more about following Christ. Or I want to know more about faith. Whatever it is that you want to just turn in, write us a little note, give us your information so we can follow up with you. But we would love to talk to you about what it leads to follow after Jesus. For those who are Christians, let's focus on Him. Let's keep our eyes and our gaze right on Him this Christmas season. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much, and uh, we just want to give you our very best today. We want to make sure, God, that our focus, our gaze, our attention is fixed solely on you. And so, Lord, as we go from this place today, I pray that we will make sure that we don't get so consumed with being busy for you that we forget to stop and focus on the doctrines that teach us about you so that we live rightly in relationship with you. Let that be our starting point. And then, God, as we know who you are and we fix our eyes more fully on you, then, Lord, send us out in your name to go and do those things that will bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we love you. Bring salvation to people in this room who need it today, God. Let us understand more fully who you are. Because of your love for us, we want to tell you that we love you. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so thankful that you've been here with us today.